Good morning. Wow, those are bright lights. I think that protects the preacher because no one knows if you've fallen asleep or not. Thank you very much for having me um, come today. I don't, I don't know that, I think you're kind of at Hink's mercy on this, but I still appreciate it. If you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We are in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The word of the Lord. I don't need those. I probably don't. I do tend to change what I'm saying halfway through. So interesting thing about this, um, this passage here, we have Philip, and Philip is a preacher, and he is a baptizer. This is Philip, the baptizer. He goes into areas, he preaches, people respond to his preaching, people get baptized. It's interesting, if, if we had read earlier in the passage, what had happened was um, he had been in Samaria, he was preaching, a great number of people were baptized, and they had not yet received the Holy Spirit, so they called, called on the big guns to come down and lay their hands on them, right? Sorry, Philip. So it's interesting, this place that Philip has, he is part of the body of Christ, and he is doing this job, this job of preaching and baptizing. So it's really kind of surprising, if you think about it, what happens. Philip is there, he is, he is on the road, he is doing what he is called to do, he is going into communities, and he is preaching, and he is baptizing, and this angel of the Lord shows up to him and says, Philip, 
I want you to go to this road. Now, this is not just any road. This is not a road leading to a community where Philip can preach. This is a desert road. This is a wilderness road. What do we know about the desert? It's kind of as dry as Kansas lately. There is no water. Now, Philip, I guarantee you, is an intelligent individual. He could have easily said, you know what? I I preach and I baptize and you are sending me to a desert road where there are very few people and there is no water. But he doesn't say, this doesn't make any sense. He gets up and he goes. And he sees an Ethiopian. Now, I love this Ethiopian. I love this Ethiopian. We're going to take some time to talk about this Ethiopian. For one, he's a eunuch. He works for for Queen Candace. He is in charge of her treasury. And he has gone up from his home to Jerusalem to worship. He's obviously a God-fearer, right? He's not a Jew, but he's a God-fearer. And he goes to the temple, to the court of the Gentiles, where he is allowed to worship. It's a long journey to make just to worship in the court of the Gentiles. But what I love about him is while we don't know his name, we know a few things. Number one, we know that he was extremely well-educated. And the reason we know this is he is reading. He is bilingual. He is reading the Hebrew scriptures. He is wealthy. He is a man kind of on top of his game, really. And he is going back, and he's reading this Hebrew scriptures. Interestingly, you'll have a lot of people who say, well, how on earth did he have a a Hebrew scripture? These were very, very expensive. Um, Lots of theories floating around out there. I kind of wonder, I suspect, I suspect he was in charge of the queen's treasury. It is indeed possible that he bought one to go into the treasury He's taking it back with him from Jerusalem, but this was a very costly item. And he has it, and he's reading it. So here enters Philip, right? Now, if you have never seen a divine appointment, this is one right here. This is a divine appointment. So here enters Philip. All right, I've gone to this desert road, and now I see this Ethiopian, and he gets told by the Spirit, go. And so he just walks up, and and what does he hear? What does he hear? Well, he hears the text for his next sermon is what he hears, right? And it's interesting to me. This is a little side point. I really really want to to bring this up. Who knew that the Ethiopian was reading the scripture? God knew. If you ever feel like God is not listening to you and God is far from you, pick up your Bible and read your scripture. We know that God pays attention so, so this Ethiopian is there, this well-educated man. Philip's not that, that fantastic. You know, he's kind of in the, in the wrong strata, right? He's not, he's not polished. He's not refined. He's not, he's not anything that the world would look at and say he's got something worth giving. He's got a treasure worth handing over. But Philip says to him, do you get what you're reading? Do you understand And the humility with which this man responds, the humility, how can I? How can I unless someone shows me? How can I understand? 
That right there, step one, that is, that is a, a marker into the kingdom of heaven, humility. And so Philip explains to him, taking the scripture bit by bit, and he explains to him the gospel message. Now then, how many of you have heard the gospel message? Have you all heard the gospel message? Have we really heard the gospel message? It's funny. Sometimes we get a little confused. Sometimes we focus on the, the atonement for sin, and that was a part of it, right? Of course, there was atonement set up prior to Jesus. God had set that up through the sacrificial system. Something bigger happened, something even beyond atonement. We're talking about the setting up of a kingdom on earth, but it's of heaven, whose king rules his people with love and forgiveness and humility and grace. This king is sacrificial. So this is the gospel message that was being presented. It wasn't Jesus died for your sins on a cross and now you're saved, just so you know. That's not what Philip was presenting. Okay? There is a new order in place. There is a new kingdom. And what is this man's response? What is his response? I can tell you what his response is. He is in a desert. He is a eunuch. There is a desert area in his life. He is there hearing these words and the water the unquenchable water that springs up that well that is life-giving springs up inside of him and he looks over and he says there is water what will prevent me from getting baptized now what would prevent me from getting baptized now isn't that an interesting response how many i I, I took my glasses off so i can't really see a show of hands how many of you are not baptized but you're christian You don't have to tell me. But it's interesting, isn't it? This is really important stuff. This is how Philip responded. This is how Philip helped the Ethiopian respond. What would prevent me from getting baptized? If you're not baptized and you're a Christian, you need to talk to Hink. This is important stuff. Humility. Baptism. And we're in this desert place and there's this dryness And Philip the baptizer gets sent to the desert. Why wouldn't he have been sent to the desert? Isn't that where people are thirsty? In the desert? That's where people crave the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. There is more to this scripture than meets the eye. What is it? that we find ourselves in when we say we're struggling? Is it not a desert? Is it not a dry place in our life where we need someone to speak to? Or maybe we see people around us and we think, gosh, I feel like I could say something to help them, but I don't. But I don't. Jesus has a few things to say about that. Um, One of them would be like this. If you have given a cup of cold water to one of my little ones, you have given it to me. See, Philip was holding a pretty tall glass of water. That's what we're called to hold. That's what we're called to offer. How many times have we looked around 
and seen people in the desert of their lives not realizing that we ourselves are holding the water bottle. These desert areas are very defining. Sometimes God calls us to them. Have you ever been called into the desert area? Wow. Formation happens in the desert area. We meet Christ in the desert area. That's where we meet the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is what happened here in the story. So as we move along in our, in our lives and we see people in the desert area and we ourselves find ourselves in the desert area, there is something that is very important that we need. And if we don't have it, we are in serious, serious trouble. And that is we need to be filled up with the living water. If we don't have it, we can't share it. If we're sharing it because we think we have it and we don't have it, that's the blind leading the blind. We have to be filled up with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so full that it overflows. And this this spot of living water becomes part of our everyday existence, that we exude it. And I think there's some dry areas that the church is really, really good about reaching out to. The church does some fantastic things. We Missions, right? Overseas missions. We reach the dry areas. I think there's some areas where the church might struggle a bit, and that's the folks next door. I'm going to talk about a dry area. Some of you might be familiar with this. There's been some studies done studies by important people. They've been done, right? And we have found that there is a very high suicide rate. Who knows what group it is? Hmm? Teens? It's not teens. Nope. It is middle-aged, middle-to-upper-class white men. Seven out of ten suicides are middle-aged, middle-to-upper-class white men. Isn't that shocking? And it's been steadily rising. Let me find a quote here I have. It was, it was in order, but now it's somewhere else. Oh, here we go. Wichita Eagle, September 6, 2017. The highest rate on record, Sedgwick County suicide deaths spike. 91 Sedgwick County residents committed suicide in 2016. Greatest number of suicides occurred between the ages of 25 and 54, and it spiked in men. There's another study. Came out a few months earlier by Yale. Yale had a great long article about it that said absolutely nothing. But this great long article did highlight the problem. They just said we have no clue what the problem is. We don't know how to fix the problem. They suspected something about, let's see, separation from society. Does this surprise any of you? 
separation from society, we have a major desert area. We have a major desert area. Something that we need to deal with. You see, I think, I, I can say this because I'm a woman. Men can't say this. I can say this. I think this might be the result of feminism run amok, right? A man can't say that, so I'll say it. I think perhaps it is. That could be part of the problem. But the bigger problem, the answer to this is always going to be found the same way that the eunuch found it. There is a kingdom. You can be part of that society. We enter in through humility and baptism. We watch each other's backs. This community speaks every language known to mankind. This community is wealthy. It's powerful. It brings hope. It brings healing. We watch each other's backs. Sometimes we stab each other in the back. We're a family, yes, a family. That is the living water. That is the water of the baptism into the faith that we need to be projecting into our people. But we cannot do it if we do not know how to listen. Remember I said you have to be filled up yourself. See, if you're paying attention here, you should have said, well, wait a minute, this isn't fair because Philip was told. I mean, an angel of the Lord showed up and told Philip, and then the Spirit told him even more. That's not fair. Don't lay that trip on me. Well, I'm going to lay that trip on you because the Holy Spirit speaks to us still today. And if you do not believe the Holy Spirit is not speaking to you, if you have a problem with this, let's talk. Let's talk about it. The Holy Spirit speaks. Sometimes as Christians, we need to shut it a little bit and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. We like to tell him all kinds of things. But. So let me give you a modern-day example of someone hearing from God, just to give you some perspective. How many of you have read The Insanity of God, other than my children? Great book. Buy it, read it, love it. So Insanity of God... Let me read you this story. Many of the stories that I heard in Russia celebrated God's faithfulness and provision. One pastor, and I'm going to edit the author. He said pastor because he's, he's Baptist, but that should say priest because we're talking about Russia. So one priest was arrested and placed in prison while his wife and children were sent to live or die in Siberia. One wintry night in their remote, dilapidated wooden cabin, which now served as their home, the three children divided their family's last bit of bread and drank the last cup of tea in the house before climbing into bed, still hungry. Kneeling to say their prayers, they asked, Where are we going to get some more food? We're hungry. Do you think Papa even knows where we live now? Their mother assured them that their heavenly father knew where they lived, for now, he was the one who would have to provide. They prayed and asked for God's provision. 30 kilometers away, 
in the middle of the night. God woke up the deacon of a church and instructed him, get out of bed, harness your horse, hitch the horse to the sled, load up all the extra vegetables that the church has harvested, the meat and the other food that the congregation has collected, and take it to that pastor's family living outside the village. They're hungry. The deacon said, but Lord, I can't do that. Ha ha, are we laughing? I can't do that. It's below zero outside. My horse might freeze and I might freeze. The Holy Spirit told him, you must go. The pastor's family is in trouble. The man argued, Lord, you've got to know that there are wolves everywhere. They could eat my horse, and if they do, then they'll eat me. I'll never make it back. But the deacon said that the Holy Spirit told him, you don't have to come back. You just have to go. So he did. When he knocked loudly on the door of that rickety cabin in the pre-dawn darkness the next morning, the banging must have terrified the mother and her children. But imagine their joy and amazement when they fearful, fearfully, hesitantly opened the cabin door to find one very small, very cold member of the body of Christ standing on their front step. His food-laden sleigh was behind him. He held a huge sack and announced, Our church collected this food for you. Be fed. When this runs out, I'll bring more. Long after I heard that story, I kept thinking about God's final instruction to the deacon, You just have to go. You don't have to come back. You just have to go. Does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Absolutely. Do we always like what the Holy Spirit has to say? No. As a matter of fact, I would, I would go so far as to say, if you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you, what you are about to have to do is something that you do not want to do because you're going to need that experience to get through it. This is what we are called to. This is what the church is called to. This is not just a Sunday morning journey. This is not just sharing, I'm going to take a crack at a few things here. This is not just, you know, sharing the faith in four simple steps. This is about having a relationship with people. This is about showing people sacrificial love, about changing our schedules, about rearranging our lives, about deciding where to live, where not to live, what job to take, what job to give up. But I can tell you one thing, our church is very, very, very good at reaching out to the least and the lost as long as we recognize them as such. But we are poor. We are really poor at reaching out to the rich white guy. Right? It's a problem. It is a Wichita problem. It is a nation problem problem. We love sending people to missions in other places, and we are failing to see a desperately important situation that is going on in our communities, and how can we bring the power of the Holy Spirit to that? And I've lived in a lot of states, and I've lived in a lot of communities, and one thing I know is people are very quick to put you in a certain strata. Have you ever noticed that? 
by how you dress or how you talk or how you walk or my favorite, what's your last name? Mm, No, that doesn't ring a bell for this community. What was your mom's last name? Right? People want to peg other people. It's so desperately important for us somehow. And friends, I want us to learn how to peg people as members of the citizen, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Let's figure out how to do that. And when someone says they're a Christian, but you know that they are in a desert area, why don't you hand them a water bottle? Right? That makes us a tad bit vulnerable. It makes us a tad bit vulnerable. What if Philip had gone out there and not found anyone? Now, now he's a baptizer and a preacher hanging out on the desert road by himself doing absolutely nothing. I could say absolutely nothing because I'm from South Georgia. My accent doesn't belie that because, because of social stratification and how we place people. Isn't it interesting what the church has the ability to do? Get yourself fed up. Two different ways. Number one, get fed up on the power and the presence of the Holy God so that you are filled to the brim so that you can share this with the people around you and get fed up with the lack of sharing it with other people. We need to stop assuming everyone around us has it together. You can pretty much assume no one around you has it together. Start there. We need each other desperately. And this treasure that was given to the Ethiopian eunuch, this treasure, mind you, he was the keeper of the treasures, was he not? God has a sense of humor, by the way. What does he do? He is given the treasure above all treasures. So Philip took time out of his day, went and talked to one person who took that gospel to a whole new people group. right? So sometimes God asks us to do something silly. Now then, I am a big fan of confirmation in the body. If you feel like God is calling you to do X, Y, and Z, and no one in your church thinks he is, you need to sit down and shut it. Because we need this presence of the Holy Spirit from our brothers and sisters around us speaking into our lives. That's why you also cannot sit down and shut it if God is telling you to say something. You see? You see how this works? This is really, really desperately important. And as the church, we need to get this right. Because the world is looking. We know that. We know that. The world is cynical. So am I, frankly. But the world is thirsty. And there are so many people that are thirsty. There are so many people in this desert area of their lives and they don't know what to do. I mean, I've had friends who've lost their children. I've had friends who's lost their spouses in accidents. I've seen unemployment. I've seen things like not enough money to put food on the table. That's in our own lives. Good heavens, my husband has two master's degrees, a PhD, and I have a master's degree and we couldn't put food on the table? Are you kidding me? You know, we live in a difficult time, right? And the church is starting to wake up. 
starting to realize, wow, we have the fix. And it's not Jesus died for your sins. Because you know what? Most of the world doesn't feel like they have sins. Have you noticed that one? We're not really a guilt-stricken culture that we need Christ to come and fix that anymore. We used to be. But we're not anymore. What do you mean? What do you mean Christ died for my sins? I don't need anyone dying for me. Okay, no. That's not what I mean. I mean that Christ has created a kingdom that is powerful, that the gates of hell cannot withstand. And when you get in the desert area of your life, you're going to need it. And it's going to speak to you, and it's going to change you, and it's going to change your family, and it's going to change the people around you, and you're going to be doing things that you never thought you would do, and you're going to be saying things you never thought you were going to say, and you're going to be living in states like Kansas that you never thought you would live in. Because God takes our lives and he molds them and he shapes them and he changes into some, them, them into something powerful and beautiful. But you know what? If we don't have it here and we only have it here, we only have it here. I know you've seen this. And there, there's a song, that a Need to Breathe song that, that says it. It's called Putting the Fire Out with Too Much Gasoline. You know what I mean? where we're just beating the gospel message into someone's face and they're just getting more and more and more like, Art, this person's insane, right? Because you are. They're right. No, they need to see the gospel message lived in your life and you need to be transparent and you need to be open and you need to say things, shocking things, like, wow, God has redeemed me from fill-in-the-blank. Having a transparent life. You know what? For one, it's shocking to people. You, you did what? God forgave you from what? We got to stop pretending that we got it all together. We got to stop pretending. We got to be like the eunuch. You know, he was humble. I don't get this. What do you mean? I'm reading it. He could have said, I am well educated. I can read Hebrew. I am wealthy. I am put together. Who are you running up to my chariot like a dog? But he didn't. We call that pervenient grace, by the way. The Holy Spirit was working. Learn to listen. Read your scriptures. Read them. We know, based on the story, that God pays attention when we read our scriptures. Read them. Sit there and be quiet after you've read them. And just listen. In my house, this is difficult. I have four children. I shut the bathroom door and lock it. And I don't let them in. And we only have one bathroom, so that's kind of funny sometimes. You see, finding that place where God meets us, that inner self, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? In, in Greek, we call it the noose, N-O-U-S. Noose. I've heard it explained a couple of different ways in Protestant circles. That inner place where we can quiet ourselves and God speaks to us. This is our spirit. We quiet our spirit before the Lord and the Lord speaks to us. And sometimes it's something as simple as you are loved. I saw a professor one time. I saw a professor one time in seminary standing in class, and he was, he was busy teaching. Class had just gotten started. 
Um, and a, a person walked in. It, it was one of those days where visit the campus, you know. And I went to Asbury Seminary, but I went to the Orlando campus, Orlando, Florida. Um, so we were in class, and this woman walks in. She was second career, and she had decided she wanted to go to seminary, which I applaud. So she walks into class, and he looks up at her, and he turns, and he says, who are you? Like that, who are you? And she said, oh, my name is such and such. And he said, I didn't ask you what your name is. I asked you who you are. So she said where she was working. (laughs) We define ourselves by our work, don't we? He said, I didn't ask you where you work. I asked you who you are. And the tears just started pouring down her face. And he went up to her and he put his arm around her and he said, you are a child of God and you are loved and you need to believe that. That was probably the neatest thing of my entire seminary career, the neatest thing I ever saw. But you know, a couple of weeks back I was flying to Michigan. And the TSA agent took my, my driver's license and he's looking at it and he looks up at me and he looks back at it and he says, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm no one. No, 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 who are you? And I had to, ex- I had to explain to this man that I'm, I'm just a human being just passing through the gate. He said, I'm going to figure it out. And as I walked off, I went, oh, How many years have I been sharing the gospel message with people and it did not click with me to say, oh, I'm a child of God, beloved member of his kingdom. By the time you're around the corner, you know, you can't run back and accost the TSA agent. We have to be on our toes. We have to be prayed up. We have to be focused on the people around us instead of our destination. You know, my problem was there. I was focused on the destination. I was focused on the hideous, awful plane ride. And I wasn't looking at the people around me. How many of us are guilty of not looking at the people around us? Right? So I really want, and I pray, that you would find yourself solidly in that grasp of a kingdom member, filled up with his presence, able to have some time in the day to quiet yourself, And listen to him speaking to your heart. And find someone who can hold you accountable to that. I know this church has groups and things. I don't know all of the details of this church. um, But I know loneliness is a huge problem. And I also would challenge you to, especially the men in here, it can be a little awkward for women, but the men in here, get to know the men in your neighborhood. We need to learn how to reach out to our people. They're suffering. They're suffering hard. And we have the answer. And it's not in a crucified God, but it's in a resurrected God who reigns and who then gives us the power to do his work.
Amen.